0: Okay. Oh, okay. Back. Okay. Sorry, folks. All right. Now, this, okay, again, ah, I, I, I just have to do all <laughs> kinds of experiments because I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So we built when we first started this, guys, we did, what, three reactors, and I put different materials in all three thinking we would grow different biology. I, I think I'm hearing that that's not true. Is that that correct?
1: So far. So far, uh, that based on what we observe yeah. No. On the test we run so far, yeah. that
2: we see is a similar endpoint.
1: Yeah. And David has um, a beginning, had done, the first bioreactor was one-third cow manure, one-third wood chips, it's very tiny wood chips, and uh, one-third yard trash. And that one, the the test came out the same as the, the ones we've done with all yard trash or all multi al- alfalfa. So it didn't seem like it makes much difference with the different input material.
2: So far, that's what the data is telling us. So
1: hey, and you're
0: also you've also determined it doesn't matter where you are in the world either. you're going to come up with the same end result
1: that surprised us that's the
2: bizarre
0: part
1: that's, we that, were waiting for a very different result and we were really worried about the eucalyptus leaves yeah yeah
2: that, that's so just considered toxic over there they have trouble getting rid of them
0: well and being so close to the co you said they were close to the coast i assumed the salt level would be i mean i'd assume everything would be different so yeah. Yeah. i
2: mean this had
0: to have blown this has to blow your mind
2: right <laughs> there's a few things in this that have well (laughs) yeah
0: so this is great I mean this is awesome so um I tried to do three different varieties to get up three different and and that's all going to be different that's okay that's great all let me know
2: when you get done and maybe we can look at them
0: yeah I'd I'd, I'd be
2: curious myself
0: I'm not sure we did ours exactly correct guys because um they've been going now for a little more than 12 months. And I don't think they're, I don't think they've done what they're supposed to do. I think we might've let them get a little too dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can save them. We're gonna, we're gonna add some more water to them again, but uh, um, yeah. It's it's hard
2: if you let them dry out, it's very hard to bring them back. You almost have to disassemble and reassemble. Start over. Okay. All right. Because the material builds up a hydrophobic, uh covering and it's very hard to wet except if in a, in a bath
0: yeah yeah all right well we've got some questions piling up here so keep your thinking caps on because i got <laughs> some other questions for you too but um okay. has anyone this is from paul paul Naring, and i apologize folks if i if i'm if i say your name wrong paul paul Nayring uh has anyone had success making the compost uh Despite it freezing. It's the only way we can scale this process. I realize it may take longer So see that is one of the issues here is if you farm 3000 acres how many of these reactors do you have to have running to fulfill your Your seed treatment your in and your foliar feeding if you're going to do all three of those And then this gentleman is in obviously a location that gets cold. So what what's your
2: what's your response there? Oh, uh, what's the location? Do you know? I I don't know, Paul. Could okay. you? I don't know. Um, we've don't, we've had we've had people. Uh, I know dairy farmers that put it in with the cows. Cows that keep it warm from their body heat. In
3: uh,
0: in the barn, it's in the yeah
2: yeah uh, inside in the barn is good. In a shop is good. Uh, a root cellar is ideal.
1: Just as long as they they don't freeze.
2: Freeze, freeze solid,
1: and and in our area we do have a freezing temperature at night. But you know, as when the sun come up during the day, it's above freezing temperature in the winter. So we are fine with that kind of environment. And uh, but for three thousand acres, if you do this cor- um, correctly, four and, that, and a half No, sun. nine. No, no nine. I divide it. Okay. Yeah. yeah nine. Yeah. All you have to do is nine bioreactor because you start out with about 2,000 pounds of material. And uh, by the time it's mature, it, you will have about 700 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then it takes two pounds per acre. So I'm just using that as a rough number. So you will need about nine bioreactor. And yeah. Uh, um, if you do it right and you have the good quality and you you use two pounds you, you are able to use two pounds per acre as All inoculation right. inoculant and for your seeds when you plant.
2: I would focus on the in-furrow first before I would go with the uh, foliar uh, seed treatment at the at the very least. In furrow is I is better, I think, and uh, the foliar is just uh, icing on the cake. That's that's what the Haggardies do.
0: Okay, so if you had if you had your choice, is it seed treatment or is it in, in-furrow? Which would you prefer?
2: In-furrow is number one.
1: Yeah.
0: furrow is number one, then seed treatment number two, and then and then foliar. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because when when you're planting and you you drip that uh, compost extract, not tea. You don't brew it. You're just extracting the uh, microbes basically Good. knocking them off the, the organic matter, allowing them to suspend in the liquid. And then you you put the liquid injected right on top of the, the seed when you're planting, so, so you have the seed contact. And as they germinate, the microbes are ready to work with that plant.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, keeping them from freezing, you can also hay bale them, put a heat tape under the, the bottom. Maybe double this top to get solar insulation, get some heat from the sun. I,
1: I think that in certain areas, they're just better off putting a barn. I think I saw one in Quebec
2: said, how do you keep it from freezing? And we had one uh, person in Quebec, they started an anaerobic system. And they ran a water loop, a pipe through it, and they used it to heat uh, an aquaculture greenhouse. And that's the way they survived minus 45. Yeah.
1: And they keep the, the Johnson soup compost bioreactor in the greenhouse. Yeah.
0: yeah, I got it. Yeah, people get creative. Um
1: yeah.
2: that's what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: because I am always the, the proponent of don't have a wishful thinking. You cannot wish that into a reality. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, I want everybody to be successful. Yeah. By the end of twelve months, I would love to have everybody to have something that's going to give them efficacy. So I'm not the type of person going to say, "Well, I think it will be okay."
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I understand, and yeah, we yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) So, okay, so let's say, okay, so what would be your Okay, we we the thing's gone for twelve months. It's what you want. You're down to this seven hundred pounds. I think you describe it of like a it's like gonna be like a clay that would ooze through your fingers if you squeeze it, right? Yes. Yeah. So, well
1: it's actually more like a decadent rich chocolate cake. Ah. chocolate cake. And when you squeeze it, you can squeeze it down. Look it will look like clay and it will actually ooze through your uh fingers.
0: Or like when you step into a pond to go swimming and it comes through your
2: toes, the Yes. The, yeah. 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 One, one good, good indication is if you know these uh, screens that you put in the bottom of the sink mm-hmm. to stop uh, large particles from going down the drain, if you can push it through that, it comes out in ribbons, small ribbons. It's, it's pretty much there. That's, you know, it's okay. very much like a clay.
1: And, okay. and it so, would stain your fingers as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: what would be your Preferred method to wash these microbes off: a a tea bag, a a a a extractor. What would you like to put this
2: material through? I, I think my preferred is an extractor. Okay, and and just you you have uh I make a little slurry out of the compost, and I have an extractor online. It's, it's a poor boy, boy extractor, <laughs> but uh, I just have a very hard stream of water, and I'm rinsing rinsing all the biology off. I have it, you know, I run it through a screen as well. And then I screen it again before I put it into a tank for injection. You know, the, the paint screens that you can get at a hardware store.
0: Right, the, right. The
2: five gallon bag.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here's the next, you know, burning question is, how long is this product now viable? After we've extracted the microbes off, they're now obviously in a liquid solution. And I got. I really need to back up here first. Okay, go ahead and answer this question, but then I got another <laughs> one we got to get to, the water. We
3: don't
1: know. <laughs> we don't know.
0: Here. We, we how, always use it. How long are the microbes viable for?
1: I feel we don't know. We have not do that kind of testing. Most of the time, you just do just go ahead and use it right away. We may have somebody let us sit overnight because um, they weren't able to finish the work by the end of a day. And More it time. was getting dark, and uh, we just tell them that to make sure that it's not just, it's not sitting in the sun and get really hot. Yeah. So it seems to be okay sitting overnight, but we don't um, we don't suggest to allow it to sit on the shelf for any extended time because think about it, they are living organism, mm-hmm. and if you allow them to sit in that kind of anaerobic situation certain certain species are going to do better than the other, yeah. and you will bias the community.
2: Yeah, we've, we've had anecdotal evidence in uh, Australia, one farmer left some in
1: his barn for, I think it was three months, and... We, we it, have no proof of that, no and proof, so but... so I, I don't even like him bringing that up <laughs> because you know, no. I hate to have somebody go and leave something in the barn and try it and fail, you know if if they just absolutely wanted to try it that's one thing but that's not something that we we have any kind of evidence of
2: we do suggest
1: just use, it right it, use it right away
2: immediately
0: yeah i understand it, it just when you get to scale guys this gets uh this gets time consuming yeah. and it's slow and and ugh, you know it, you gotta You've got to almost have somebody full time is now your biologist out there extracting product. Oh,
1: you're um, You don't need a biologist to extract it. Oh, that's pretty good, Yeah.
0: But we just—I didn't say that right. But we need somebody out there extract running the extractor all the time. Um. All right, we've got we've got questions piling up. So, uh, Philip, I'm assuming Philip is from Q- Quebec here, but um, he makes a good point. Okay, so is it is does it is does it going to take longer to get to the finish line with your reactor if you're in a colder climate, just trying to keep this thing above freezing versus being in New Mexico and this thing running? Is there a difference in time based on the climate that you're in?
2: I don't expect there to be too much difference in time. Uh, you know, they have longer summers up there as well. Uh, I know the winters are brutal.
1: But to the point is, if if you're not allowing it to freeze, you have to put it in an environment during those freezing months. And so it's not going to be that cold in that environment. So for those cold temperature months, you will need to find a way to keep it above freezing.
0: Okay. Yeah, I understand that. I understand. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they're also going to have issues with cover crops that far north as far as being able to w- have them winter through you know that's that's another issue they'll have a winter
1: kill on their their cover crops so. so they may need to i don't know they have to figure out a way to keep their living roots at you know for a different time period
0: yeah so what you're 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 saying is the biology is great but we really need to have them together in concert with the living roots, the cover crop in the ground.
3: Absolutely.
0: All, yeah. yeah. See, so Absolutely. It, it all comes back to where they all work together and, and yeah. if you really want to solve the problem out here, just plant something, you know, something mm-hmm. and go, go green.
2: You're and not going to put a cow out of pasture that doesn't have any grass.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I don't think do that. I,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, They're just more livestock. Uh, you gotta look at them. They're just more livestock you're using in your system.
0: <laughs> underground. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And again, I'm not a biologist. I wish I was. I, I always say this. I, I when I talk to young kids and they ask me what to do if you're going to farm this way, I say go become a biologist and ecologist and minor in animal science, and then you can take care of your animals that are out there grazing, and you can understand what's happening with this interaction and you know i i just there's just so much going on here that's way beyond us right now i know we're learning more every single day i know that but oh my yeah. gosh there's so much here
2: yeah and, and trying to get the data you know it takes time to get the data you got to get the the setups right make sure that you don't have any conflicting results mm-hmm. uh so it's no it's a great time though mm-hmm. i i think we are starting to be on the threshold of how these systems really work and how we can work with them and be more profitable and also improve our,
1: our soils. Allow our better understanding of why and how regenerative practices work. I saw
2: one question by Brad there uh, asking, "Can he has a, fung, a bacterial dominant system, can he get it to a fungal dominant system? And I'll give you one instance, uh, we had a project on, on corn we started out with a fungal-to-bacterial ratio of 0.03. Hmm. It was very bacterial dominant. And within three years, we had it up to 1.5. So yeah, you can do this. The system is self-organizing. You just have to get the microbes into the system, and they have the energy to build the environment that they
1: need to survive. Yeah, that and that means that you do need to practice the regenerative Agriculture practices enable to help the microbes to help you.
2: You can do it with cover crops, yeah. but it's slower. And from what I've seen, even after five years, you're still 50% below what you could actually accomplish with the microbes.
0: That's what I was talking about, about being stubborn. You're right. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I think that I have inadvertently shifted my fungal domination and I, when i mean when i say domination i just mean slightly above 50 percent the 50 level and i think with bringing in too much high carbon to nitrogen ratio cover crops i have disrupted somehow the balance and i've actually shifted it back to bacterial because i see it happening so cereal rye for example Nine, 80 to 1 carbon to nitrogen ratio is going to throw the system out of balance. It has to.
2: It, well, we've seen, you know, where you come in with a single species cover like cereal rye or triticale, uh, we did a comparison with multi-species right next to single species triticale. Mm-hmm. And it was on corn. The corn with the single species only grew four foot tall and it was yellow. With the multi-species, it was eight foot tall and it was green. Mm-hmm. And, and these are just right next to each other, and it was consistent
1: for the whole treatment. And per dollar of the oh, yeah. of the 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 money that you spend on the cover crop, the mm-hmm. multi species will produce far more biomass than the single species.
2: Oh, oh yeah, and, and also the cost per pound of biomass out there is less expensive with the multi species than it is with a single species. Right but you get more for your money. And and I do, I, I go heavy legume on mine. Uh, I, I know in in the beginning, these soils are broken. Uh, the carbon is low, nitrogen is low. You can't fix carbon without nitrogen. So I go pretty heavy, about uh, 70 to 80% legume in the mix mm-hmm. just to get this system off the ground and, and flying again, so to speak.
0: Okay, so I want to take a time out here real quick. So folks, now now let's understand what what doctor's talking about here. If you are living in a environment that gets cold like we do in Indiana, you're not going to accomplish this unless you do this after a cereal grain and do not double crop a crop after that cereal grain. You now need the rest of the growing season, to grow these legumes are these multi-species cocktails we're referring to here. You're not gonna throw a legume out in, in Indiana or Illinois in the third week in October and expect it to survive the winter and be here next year. It's not gonna happen. So you now have to start, not only do you have a systematic approach for your regenerative farming, you now have a systematic approach for your biology program running parallel with this regenerative program. And so we got to be thinking all the time a year mm-hmm. in advance. That's at least what I do. You've got to yes. be thinking all the time, how can I set this field up right here to raise corn a year from now? And that's what we got to do.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we often tell people that we will never even pretend that we're farmers because that would be an insult to the farmers. We grow things for research reasons. We and, depend
2: on good farmers, though, in our research.
1: <laughs> and and we depend on good farmers, yes. Yeah. And then we also depend on your feedback and, and your observation because there's a, they are so important for us to make sense of, of what we're observing in our research as well. And uh, so, you know, each area, each type of crop that you are doing, that when you give us the feedback, allow us to... Trying to think about that from a different angle, that how we can u- use what we found in our research to become a better tool for your practice. No,
2: I yes. did see a question there about carbon to nitrogen ratio on the mix, and what we have found it's it's kind of irrelevant
1: for the compost.
2: For the compost, we it's uh, interesting. If nature needs nitrogen we find a lot of free living nitrogen fixing mm-hmm. microbes in this compost. So we don't follow the 30 to one carbon to nitrogen ratio. I'm, I've done straight leaves, uh, haze, it was like you were talking 80 to one, up to a up to hundred to one on some of these. So it's, uh, again, nature will bring them in.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Um, Okay. So again, I got an, I think something came in, I got to get it out before I lose it does. Okay. So we're going to go back to in-furrow is the preferred way to place the material. Okay. Now
1: I. With, a C contact. with what? With seed contact. Okay. Not
0: okay. So, so Keaton firmer running seeds going to be okay. So I think you've kind of answered my question here. You just did, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So we've got a a uh, air seeder that's on seven and a half inch spacing that we like to use to go out and plant cover crops and plant cash crops and all this stuff. And there is not a liquid delivery system on this, this rig. That's probably shame on me for not having a liquid system, but I don't so now we go to whatever we have because i'm always a firm believer in not spending a lot of money if you've got something in your arsenal figure out how to utilize it the most ways you can okay so we've got a 20 inch row spacing corn planter that has a tremendous liquid delivery system on it yep. i went out early in the spring and planted biology we did not plant any seed we pulled the corn planter out and we put it in 20 now this the way this you just said, make sure the seed has contact. It's not going to have contact here. Is this going to work? So 20 inch row spacing biology, come back a week later and do a seven and a half inch row spacing and plant your
2: cash crop. Uh I haven't done that one. <laughs> How far would does the biology move laterally? Um well what I've observed is not far. Okay. I've in some of my experiments, I had them the treatments right next to each other. I wanted to know is it going is it going to migrate over in, to the other in that my control treatment? Mm-hmm. And for three and a half years, it didn't.
1: Well keep in mind, all of this are annual crops, yeah, or annual plants that we plant. Yeah. And so think about it, the microbes are microscopic. okay? So even like one centimeter is like a mile or long or further for oh, them, yeah. you know, it's just really, yeah. really long distance. So most of the living organism, they are going to stick close to where the food source, where the collaboration is. And they, if it's too far away, they're gonna stick to where the source are. Kind of like us, we are gonna stick to where we can find a job, stability, shelter, food, we're not going to venture too far out if, you know, if in the middle of summer, are you going to hike 10 miles somewhere else or 30 miles somewhere else to look for something if you already have a job and food here. So, so just kind of try to think of that way. But in that situation, I would, I would say that you, you may be better off to think about do the seed coating, sea treatment, okay. for the planting, and then maybe come back and do the foliar spray.
2: Okay. The most bio use is in, in row crops, and but we've seen people use this in pastures, and that's another thing. If you're spraying it on a plant with a living root, that seems to work, at least from what we've seen in Australia, where one person sprayed it on his or, uh, in his field, and he saw results there.
0: Okay, all right, I, I'm 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 starting to I'm starting to relate here. I'm getting I'm getting what you're telling me. I, you know, so here's what I hope to see when we plant, we did this with Milo. Okay. I hope that we can go out and see exactly where that 20 inch row space planter ran because whatever rows of that seven and a half got put in that spot, we should see a a, a more positive result to those Milo plants than the ones that are 10 inches away and did not get any biology. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, Let me know. (laughs) <laughs> my My observation so far shows that uh yeah I sprayed it topically and watered it in Just, you know right after I sprayed it after I planted the seed, I didn't see any efficacy uh there's something about it being there when the germination of that seed happens mm. you know, that living root uh seems to be the key to really get this going. And if you saw uh, Corey Miller's, have you seen his video Mm -hmm. in Montana where he was doing it on a cereal rye, I believe in his field. He had a 40 acre field and he planted most of it without the inoculant. And then he came in and did one pass injecting the the, uh, extract from the compost into the furrow at planting. Where he didn't add it, the cereal rye was from eight to 12 inches tall. Where he did apply it, it was from four to five feet tall. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, and that's pretty extraordinary.
1: Yeah, Yeah. we're amazing. Yeah.
2: But in in some instances, in the right situation, when you get it in that seed contact and in the furrow, things happen, the biology really starts to work. And I I think eventually, uh, if you keep putting the covers in, and keeping the, that uh, your underground livestock fed, there'll be a point in time where you have all the biology there. Mm-hmm. And you should, should be able to keep it alive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you see, I decided this spring that we were going to seed coat everything and in as much as we could, and then we're going to try to foliar. So, I mean, I wanted to have all the bases covered here. Um, I just realized how important this biology is to the system here. Maybe I'm overkilling it, but that's okay. That's okay. I'd rather be overdoing it than underdoing it. So
2: try, try a little bit of all three ways and see yeah. where your time is best spent. Yeah. Where you get the most bang for your buck, or the time that you're investing in. Yeah.
0: That's obviously the seed treatment is the is the is the quickest because it doesn't take a lot of material to create a enough to do a, a couple of pro boxes of seed. So that's your quickest way to to get it. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It only takes about a, a, a liter or a quarter of that slurry to treat a 50 pound bag. Yeah. And it goes a long way that way.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, and remember folks, think about, think about the timing here. It's very easy to figure this out. They're telling us it takes about 12 months for one of these to totally do the process up. Well, think about when do you need the first reactor material? You're gonna need it in April or May. So you start building your reactors in March, April or May, then you need to you need to fully your feed later on in the season. So you're going to need some in July. So you got to build some in July. Then what we're going to do, we are I mean, it's going to become protocol now. We are going to seed treat everything we plant, whether it's a cover crop seed cocktail, whether it's a cash crop. And I want to try to in furrow as much as we can, too. So again, you need reactors pretty much running a lot of the of the year so that when you get to be a year from now in July and you want to go full your feed, you've got another reactor coming online. So again, you've got to always be thinking about where what do I need a year from now now. And we have just learned earlier in the show that it doesn't seem to matter what products we put in this thing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any difference. So obviously we don't have a lot of leaves available, at least that have fallen on the ground in the spring, but we do in the fall. Um, and I, I will tell you though, guys, we, I tried one, we, I bought a chipper, a wood chipper and ran some sticks through and got, boy, those pieces have gotta be small. Don't they? Because they don't break down very good.
2: But the smaller the better, get yeah. that surface area. And uh, I think uh, Jay Young's been using corn stover. And I looked at his this last week and it looks pretty good. Yeah.
1: yeah. So now the wood shavings are great. So does that you, you will have to worry about compaction and then ended up with anaerobic spots. But wood shavings are great. Um, wood chips, David had done one a long time ago. Uh, was all wood chip. It took him over four years <laughs> to compost that pile. It came out beautiful. Oh, wow. But if you, let me just say this. It's not impossible. The first one you have to wait four years. But if you start making one, if you have a lot of somebody who has a lot of resource like that, then you start making like one one every three months then four years from now, you will have something mature every three months. Well, so I would,
2: I would stick with the one year.
1: <laughs> no, no, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some people, they may be in the area where they need to shred up a lot of wood. Yeah. And so that is not something you're looking to be using it in one year. But if you can wait the four years, then you can utilize that. But, you know, I'm just trying to say this because we have p- people... We have people approach us about that question probably about five or six years ago. They still have not made one. (laughs) They they would have had, what, at least two by now, right?
2: Yeah, I understand. if there's questions about temperature on this. And uh, no, it doesn't have to get to 130 or 160. We've had it not get over 80 degrees Fahrenheit and still compost fine
1: but you just have to make sure that you put the worms in. Yeah,
2: yeah. After, after the temperature goes down. Yeah.
0: And you want the red wigglers, is that what you want?
1: Yeah, yes, that seems,
2: seems to be the most effective. Yeah.
0: So um, what about, okay, let's go back to the extraction process. Are you folks also recommending that we should put some energy with this, some sugar or something with this product? No, no not necessary. You,
2: you're only gonna have it there just for a few minutes before you start to use it. Uh, the sugars may help the plant, but as far as the biology, what we see if you try to to brew it uh, and, and you're adding nutrients, it starts to bias the population in, in the extract. Wow. You know, it, those organisms that can utilize that, uh, whatever you put in there, fish emulsion, sugars, molasses, whatever, uh, they start to dominate in that community. And then, uh, the others start to fade away. So it's, it's best just to get the full suite. You know, it's a very uh, broad spectrum microbial community. Uh, that's where we think that the, the FSKSC starts to come is in that diversity. And you want you
1: want that original roster at the maturity level going into your soil to work with your plant roots. Yeah. You don't want to bias th- that ro- roster. Substitute somebody in there. Yeah. So that, that two
2: pounds per acre on on a good compost, it put it put about uh, six million fungal spores and about uh, thirty to forty million bacteria per square foot.
0: Wait a minute. I got to write that down.
2: Say that again. <laughs> six million spores. About six million spores.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, the bacteria puts about 40 to 60 million bacteria. Gee per, square, per square foot.
3: Per square foot.
2: So, and, and the, the fungal spores are, uh, they can weather just about anything. That's the nice thing about this. You're in uh, some of the other composting processes that you know, they emphasize having hyphae. And hyphae are very fragile,
1: uh, where a spore can take heat, can take dryness. Um, no guarantee on other microbes eating them though, <laughs> but you know, they uh, as far as the resiliency goes, they, they're much better. So that's why I often tell people, as you are utilizing the microscopy, meaning using the microscopes to look at the, The food webs or the microbes under microscope. Then make sure that you are looking for fungal spores in the compost. For the soil, when everything is active, you want to be looking for the hyphae because they're active. But then, when you have the mature compost, you need to be looking for the spores.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. Gosh, there's just so much that you don't. I have. I never even thought about. Um, there is a question here. Brian had a question to me, Rick. How do you label this input on your OSP? He is referring to the organic um, um, system that I have to follow. Burn um, a the compost.
2: Do they have a heading for no, that? I'll,
0: I'll tell you what. I do not call it compost because see, compost. Uh, makes it fall into a category of the temperature did it get to a certain temperature then did you did you get to 130 then did it come back down did you turn it and then did it go to one i don't want to follow the compost guidelines so we call it extract
2: uh i think they have a caveat there uh if it's allowed to go a year and it's a vermicompost it's considered by epa as uh well
1: you need to double check on that
2: in california yeah that that's the, they're probably the worst as far as
1: regulation. having
2: all the regulations, and if it goes the year, and it has worms in it, they but usually allow it.
1: I would I would double check on that. Uh, yeah. ch- somebody check on that vermin composting regulation and to see that if it um, if it allows without that temperature,
2: right, yeah. Yeah. right. Normally, what we see in these is they will get to 131 or up to 160, and they will stay there for five days, and then the temperature starts to go down from that point. The 160, although uh, if there's a lot of nitrogen in the pile, yeah, we've seen it go three weeks.
1: Yeah, we had one with 100% moldy hay in there, Alpha, Alpha. and uh, it was about a little bit over three weeks of 160 degrees.
2: Wow. So that's what yeah. we're seeing in... We just got back from uh, Ireland, and uh, we went there are several workshops there showing people how to build the bioreactors, and they're reporting 160 right now, and that's with uh, rushes and uh, moldy uh, silage. Mm-hmm. So it, most any waste you have.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Um, yeah. So to get back to that OSP. We just we we identify where our products came from, so they're coming from in inherently from the farm. Um, mm-hmm. We Then uh, lit, we have to list the process that we're doing, and our certifier has approved all of this, the process. And then we just uh, I, I don't I didn't, can't even think of what I call this. Um, let's see the the wheat that we we keep for ourselves. We call it adapt. I've called it adapting wheat. Um, I, can't, I cannot think what we call the biologist off the top of my head. I'm not sure we call it anything. So uh, we'll have to label it for something. But uh, it can be done. But again, uh, Way had a very good point. Check with your own certifying agency. Don't just take our word for it, Here, You mm-hmm. have to find out from them. Because the last thing you want to have is somebody to kick you out of the organic status. Yeah. So, please don't have that happen. Um, John Hume is just stating water one minute per day uh, just to maintain 70% moisture. So I think we, we built a, um, uh, a PVC uh, square and put above and then drilled holes in it and then attached a garden hose to one end and we got a timer at Lowe's and I think it runs for a minute and a half every day at like 830 in the morning and mm-hmm. then that's how we do it. It's very simple to do. Um, let's talk about a little bit about it's going to be hard to 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 talk about this without visual uh, help here but building a reactor okay um what is your preferred first of all what's your preferred vessel to start with what do you want to start with
2: well a lot of people going to these uh ibc totes Mm -hmm. and then putting the landscape fabric on them Uh, i still I, I was a builder for 30 years, so I still use concrete remesh and the landscape cloth. I, I like the, the cylindrical part. You know, I don't have access to to IBC totes.
1: Yeah, the, the reason why he designed it that way was because the the, the wire mesh has a stability, the strength for the stability. And being in the cylindrical shape, the pressure from the way is equally distributed. Yeah. So you don't have the bulging problem oh. like if you have a, a, a flat surface and then it sits on the pallet and with the landscaping cloth over and then you drill those holes. So it also allow the breathing from low as well. The lens, woven landscaping cloth is very important. Do not substitute that with anything else because it allows the adequate air infiltration to keep the pile aerobic, but it also has enough thickness and density that it keeps the, the moisture consistent in that pile and not allowing the, the uh, perimeter to dry down. So mm-hmm. those are very important things to keep in mind.
3: Yeah, yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, and, and to add to, to you, David, we are using those totes. We take that that plastic bladder out and then you're left mm-hmm. with that metal frame, that square, I think it's, yeah, it's square. And yeah. then we take this fabric and line uh, the inside of it. And then that, that gets the vessel, that, that, that's the vessel. And yeah. Then the and whole. then you
1: put the, the pipes in according to the, um, the size of your IBC tote, because what you want to keep it in mind is no more than one foot distance from where the natural air can start infiltrate. So what we design ours, it's a a round shape. So that's why we came up with a template of the location of those uh, pipes. But Mm -hmm. when you have a square or rectangular shape, then you're gonna have to line them up differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do do you, have you considered when you first did this, um, did you think about drilling holes in these tubes and just leave them in permanent? I mean, because when you pull those out, you do get, the the cylinder stays there, but then over time, it kind of
2: falls in on itself. Is that okay? They're fine. That's how it's, it's, it's supposed to, about okay. five or six, the whole pile will start folding in on itself. The worms okay. are working it, the microarthropods are moving it around. It's It does not have the oxygen demand, at that point because it's consumed a lot of the easy to break down metabolic products and that
1: uh it stays aerobic yeah the all, all the organisms and and the worms are keeping it aerobic so you don't have to worry about that but at the beginning we put those pipes in they only stay in there for 24 hours mm-hmm. after 24 hours the the um fungal hyphase and mycelium grew, grew through the pile and stabilized. So okay. as you pull those pipes out, the entire surface area of the shaft became the beginning point for the air to start infiltrate through. And I believe that is the reason why that this design is allowing the entire pile to stay aerobic from the very beginning.
0: That makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, you make it so clear to understand. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's awesome. All... Now, I got, I'm got. i going to hold here for a second. We've got a great question here, and this is a question that I've had a lot of times. You're going to go apply some anaerobic dairy manure to a field. Does this have a negative impact on the biology in that field? I I, I can't wait for the answer. <laughs>
2: yes, it does. And what, You know, all of this also depends on the rate that you're applying it. Just like any toxin, if you apply too much, it it's, gets, it'll kill things. Uh, the right amount, it can be beneficial. Yeah. So, you know, you have to weigh that out. And they have that big problem with that in Europe. Um, when you apply an anaerobic manure, of course, first thing you do is you smell ammonia. That's your nitrogen being volatilized and going off. Um if it's too toxic to the organisms, yeah, phosphorus as well. They're having um the nitrogen nitrates flowing plus uh phosphates flowing into the uh the rivers in 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 Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the government is getting after them for all this. So yeah, anaerobic um uh, dairy manure or cow manure is is really not a good product to put on. And if there's any way that you can
1: compost
2: it it or uh, dilute it enough that what you're putting on that the soil microbes that you have there in that soil can assimilate it it's when you when you over apply that's when you start to kill off this community and really stress your soils out
0: yeah yeah i i i I knew that's what you were going to say um, I always try to talk people into if you're going to do this, try to do split applications and and minimize the the actual amount you put on at one time because it's just too much of a shock to the system.
2: Yeah, they they have slurries over there in Ireland and and they're able to dilute uh, that solution enough that even on these regenerative farms it, it seems to be helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this. I think was you
1: this question about how many worms yeah. to put in will be about 100 worms that you put in just put them on the top and then they'll find their way in through the pile by the end of 12 months
2: yeah once that pile gets down below 80 degrees Fahrenheit
1: yeah don't yeah. put them in a beginning mm-hmm. you know put them in after the temperature comes back down and reach about 80 degrees so that way you don't cook your worms yeah. so start out with about 100 and they will multiply by the end of the 12 months, you will have a warm farm yeah. in that pile.
0: That's crazy. So when we get to this point, guys, um, can, you, can you still hear me?
1: Yes. Oh, we can't see you.
0: I'm, I'm froze here. Okay, you can hear me. Well, if yeah. you can't see me, that's even better. So, okay. Um, okay, so when you get down to the bottom here and we're – you you're telling us that these worms are multiplying uh is this the basis then for another reactor if we want to start one or what are you going to do with all these worms that that are left over here at the end at the end of the reactor
1: you're well, not going to have over. and and i i'm i'm sad to inform you that all those wonderful creatures they will be sacrificed during the okay. extraction process now this they have 12 good months and And one bad day, as Gabe would say, <laughs> Yeah, I understand,
0: I understand. I don't no, know. you understand.
2: Uh, that you can the way I wash them, you can salvage some of them because, uh, as I say, you're I make a slurry and you're just pushing a stream of water over the that slurry to separate the microbes. And the worms but, the worms do some of them survive come on. majority
1: majority of them will be sacrificed. That's the reality of it.
0: Okay, and 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 that's okay. I understand. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, well, you
1: can pick out about a hundred of them for the next next pile, and they'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. That'd be okay. I I I will do that, and then we can we can do you do what I call epigenetics then with the earthworms, and just continue to use the same community of <laughs> earthworms and keep yeah. going to the next reactor. I like that, I
2: like it. Yeah, what, what I do is when I am, you know, you, get the, you put the material through a bath in order to get all the sand and dirt off of it, but I am throwing some compost from a previous pile into that bath. So, and some worms get in there as well. So, you know, you might be getting the worms in that way as well.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know what's happened with my, my video here, but that's okay, we're gonna keep moving on um i want to move into uh, and and i hope you got time to go just a little bit longer here i have to be respectful sure. of everybody's time um let's the big the big thing right now everybody wants to talk about carbon you know carbon sequestration carbon this carbon that um what role do the microbes have in carbon sequestration
2: Oh, they're the helpers to the plants. They're the ones that are harvesting all the elemental nutrients from
1: the soil parent material. They're the ones fixing the nitrogen. The uh, microbes, basically yeah. knocking them off the, the organic matter, allowing them to suspend in the liquid. And then you you put the liquid injected right on top of the, the seed when you're planting. So So you have the seed contact. And as they germinate, the microbes are ready to work with that plant.
2: Okay. Um, Keeping them from freezing, you can also hay bale them, put a heat tape under the the bottom, and maybe uh, double this queen top to get solar insulation, get some heat from the sun.
1: I I think that in certain areas they're just better off putting a barn.
2: I think I saw one in Quebec said, how do you keep it from freezing? And we had one uh, person in Quebec, they started an anaerobic system. And they ran a water loop, a pipe through it, and they used it to heat uh, an aquaculture greenhouse. And that's the way they survived minus 45.
1: Yeah. And they keep the, the Johnson Sioux compost bioreactor in the greenhouse. Yeah,
0: yeah I got it. Yeah, people get creative. Um, yeah.
2: That's what you have to do. Yeah. yeah okay. but
1: because I am always the, the proponent of don't have a wishful thinking. You cannot wish that into a reality mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, I want everybody to be successful Yeah. by the end of 12 months. I would love to have everybody to have something that's going to give them efficacy. So I I'm not the type of person going to say, well, I think it will be okay.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. And yeah, we, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so, Okay, so let's just. Okay, so what would be your? Okay, we we the thing's gone for twelve months. It's what you want. You're down to this seven hundred pounds. I think you describe it of like a. It's like going to be like a clay that would ooze through your fingers if you squeeze it, right? Yeah. So-
1: well, it's actually more like a decadent, rich chocolate cake. Chocolate ah. Cake. And when you squeeze it, you can squeeze it down. Look, it will look like clay, and it will actually ooze through your, uh, fingers.
0: Or like when you step into a pond to go swimming and it comes through
2: your toes, the Yes. Yeah. 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 One, one good indication is if you know these uh strains that you put in the bottom of the sink to stop uh mm-hmm. large particles from going down the drain. If you can push it through that, it comes out in ribbons, small ribbons. It's it's pretty much there. You know, it's very much like That's, a clay. Okay.
1: And and it okay. would stain so, your fingers as well.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So what would be your preferred method to wash these microbes off a a tea bag a a a,
2: a extractor
0: what would you like to put this material through
2: I, I think my preferred is an extractor okay and and just you you have uh, I make a little slurry out of the compost and I have an extractor online it's, it's a poor boy extractor <laughs> but uh, I just have a very hard stream of water and I'm rinsing, rinsing all the biology off. I have a, you know, I run it through a screen as well. And then I screen it again before I put it into a tank for injection. You know, the, the paint screens that you can get at a hardware store.
0: Right. You know, right. The, the
2: Five gallon bag.
0: Yeah. Okay. So here's the next, you know, burning question is how <laughs> long is this, product now viable after we've extracted the microbes off they're now obviously in a liquid solution and i gotta i really need to back up here first okay go ahead and answer this question but then i got another one we got to get to the water we
1: don't know <laughs> okay. we, don't know. Here.
0: we, we always long, use it how long are the microbes viable for
1: i feel we don't know we have not do that kind of testing most time you just do just go ahead and use it right away we uh, may have somebody let us sit overnight because um, they weren't able to finish the work by the end of the day and it was hard. getting dark and uh, we just tell them that to make sure that it's not it's not sitting in the sun and get really hot yeah. so it seems to be okay sitting overnight but we don't um we don't suggest to allow it to sit on the shelf for any extended time because think about they are Living organism, mm-hmm. and if you allow them to sit in that kind of anaerobic situation, certain certain species are going to do better than the other, and you will bias the community. Yeah, we've we've had
2: anecdotal evidence in uh, Australia. One farmer left some
1: in his barn for, I think it was three months, and. We, we have no proof of that, yeah, and perfect. so so I, I don't even like him bringing that up because, you know, yeah. I hate to have somebody go and leave something in the barn and try it and fail. You know, if if they just absolutely wanted to try it, that's one thing, but that's not something that we, we have any kind of evidence of.
2: We do suggest
1: use it right it, away. Use it
2: immediately.
0: Yeah, I understand. It, it just when you get to scale, guys, this gets uh, this gets time consuming yep. and it's slow and and ugh, you know it, you gotta you gotta almost have somebody full time is now your biologist out there extracting product. Oh,
1: um, extraction! You don't need a biologist to extract it. No,
2: no.
1: Yeah,
0: but we just. Um, I didn't say that right but we need somebody out there extract running the extractor all the time um all right we've got we've got questions piling up so uh Philip I'm assuming Philip is from Quebec here but um uh, he makes a good point okay so is it is does it is it going to take longer to get to the finish line with your reactor if you're in a colder climate just trying to keep this thing above freezing Versus being in New Mexico and this thing running, is there a difference in time based on the climate that you're in?
2: I don't expect there to be too much difference in time. Uh, you know, they have longer summers up there as well. Uh, I know their winters are brutal.
1: But to the point is, if if you're not allowing air to freeze, you have to put it in an environment during those freezing months. And so it's not going to be that cold in that environment. So for those cold temperature months, you will need to find a way to keep it above freezing.
0: Okay. Yeah, I understand that. I understand.
3: Yeah.
2: And they're also going to have issues with cover crops that far north, as far as being able to have them winter through, you know, that's, that's another issue. They'll have a winter kill on their, their cover crops. So Mm -hmm. So they may
1: need to, I don't know they have to figure out a way to keep their living roots at you know for a different time period
0: yeah so what you're 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 saying is the biology is great but we really need to have them together in concert with the living roots the cover crop in the absolutely. ground all, yeah. See, Absolutely. yeah absolutely it, it all comes back to where they all work together and and yeah. if you really want to solve the problem out here just plant something you know something mm-hmm. in, Go green.
2: You're not going to and put again, a cow out of pasture that doesn't have any grass. Yeah, you
3: know, yeah,
2: yeah I don't do that. Yeah. They're just more livestock. Uh, you got to look at them. There's just more livestock you're using in your system. <laughs> underground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And again, I'm not a biologist. I wish I was. I, I always say this. I, I When I talk to young kids, and they ask me what to do. If you're going to farm this way, I say, go become a biologist and ecologist and minor in animal science. And then you can take care of your animals that are out there grazing, and you can understand what's happening with this interaction. And, you know, I I just, there's just so much going on here that's way beyond us right now. I know we're learning more every single day. I know that, but oh my gosh, there's so much here.
2: Yeah, and, and trying to get the data. You know, it takes time to get the data you got to get the the setups right. Make sure that you don't have any conflicting results. Uh, so it's no, it's a great time though. I, I think we are starting to be on the threshold of how these systems really work and how we can work with them and be more profitable and also improve our
1: our soils. Allow our better understanding of why and how regenerative practices work. I
2: saw one question by Brad there. Uh, asking, can he has a, fung, a bacterial dominant system, can he get it to a fungal dominant system? And I'll give you one instance. Uh, we had a project on, on corn. We started out with a fungal to bacterial ratio of 0.03. Hmm. It was very bacterial dominant. And within three years, we had it up to 1.5. So yeah, you can do this. You know, the, the system is self-organizing. You just have to get the microbes into the system, and they have the energy to build the environment that they
1: need to survive. Yeah, that, and that means that you do need to practice the regenerative agriculture practices in able to help the microbes to help you.
2: You can do it with cover crops, but it's slower. And from what I've seen, even after five years, you're still 50% below what you could actually ac- accomplish with the microbes
0: that's what I was talking about about being stubborn you're right because I'm going to tell you right now I think that I have inadvertently shifted my fungal domination and when I mean when I say domination I just mean slightly above 50 percent the 50 percent level and I think with bringing in too much high carbon to nitrogen ratio cover crops I have disrupted Somehow the balance, and I've actually shifted it back to bacterial because I see it happening. So cereal rye, for example, mm-hmm. 90, eighty to one carbon to nitrogen ratio is going to throw the system out of balance. It has to.
2: But well, we've seen, you know, where you come in with a single species cover like cereal rye or triticale. Uh, we did a comparison with multi-species right next to single species triticale, mm-hmm. and it was on corn. The corn. With the single species only grew four foot tall and it was yellow. With the multi species it was eight foot tall and it was green. Mm-hmm. And, and these are just right next to each other. And it was consistent
1: for the whole treatment. And per dollar of the oh, yeah. of the 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 money that you spend on the cover crop, the multi species will produce far more biomass than the single species.
2: Oh, oh yeah. And and also the cost per pound of biomass out there is less expensive with the multi-species than it is with the single species. Right. But you get more for your money. And and I do, I, I go heavy legume on mine. Uh, I know in, in the beginning, these soils are broken. Uh, the carbon is low, nitrogen is low. You can't fix carbon without nitrogen. So I go pretty heavy, about uh, 70 to 80% legume in the mix, mm-hmm. just to get this system off the ground and and flying again, so to speak.
0: Okay, so I wanna take a time out here real quick. So folks, now now let's understand what what doctor's talking about here. If you are living in an environment that gets cold, like we do in Indiana, you're not going to accomplish this unless you do this after a cereal grain and do not double crop a crop after that cereal grain. You now need the rest of the growing season to grow these legumes are these multi-species cocktails we're referring to here. You're not going to throw a legume out in, in Indiana or Illinois in the third week in October and expect it to survive the winter and be here next year. It's not going to happen. So you now have to start, not only do you have a systematic approach for your regenerative farming, you now have a systematic approach for your biology program running parallel with this regenerative program. And so we gotta be thinking all the time a year in advance. That's at least what I do. You've got to be thinking all the time, how can I set this field up right here to raise corn a year from now? And that's what we gotta do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's why we often tell people that we will never even pretend that we're farmers because that would be an insult to the farmers. We grow things for research reasons. We and, depend
2: on good farmers, though, in our research.
1: <laughs> and and we depend on good farmers, yes. Yeah. And then we also depend on your feedback and, and your observation because there's a, they are so important for us to make sense of, of what we're observing in our research as well. And uh, so, you know, each area, each type of crop that you are doing, that when you give us the feedback, allow us to Trying to think about that from a different angle, that how we can u- use what we found in our research to become a better tool for your practice.
2: No, I did yeah. see a question there about carbon to nitrogen ratio on the mix, and what we have found it's it's kind of irrelevant
1: for the compost.
2: For the compost, we it's uh, interesting. If nature needs nitrogen we find a lot of free living nitrogen fixing mm-hmm. microbes in this compost. So we don't follow the 30 to one carbon to nitrogen ratio. I'm, I've done straight leaves, uh, haze, it was like you were talking 80 to one, up to a up to hundred to one on some of these. So it's, uh, again, nature will bring them in.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Um... Okay, so again I got a. I I think something came in. I gotta get it out before I lose it. Does okay, so we're gonna go back to in furrow is the preferred way to place the material. Okay. Now
3: I
1: seed contact. With what? With a seed contact. Okay. Not
0: so, so Keaton firmer running. Seeds gonna be okay. So I think you've kind of answered my question here. You just did, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So we've got a a, uh, air seeder that's on seven and a half inch spacing that we like to use to go out and plant cover crops and plant cash crops and all this stuff. And there is not a liquid delivery system on this, this rig. That's probably shame on me for not having a liquid system, but I don't so now we go to whatever we have because i'm always a firm believer in not spending a lot of money if you've got something in your arsenal figure out how to utilize it the most ways you can okay so we've got a 20 inch row spacing corn planter that has a tremendous liquid delivery system on it i went out early in the spring and planted biology we did not plant any seed we pulled the corn planter out and we put it in 20 now this the way this, you just said, make sure the seed has contact. It's not going to have contact here. Is this going to work? So 20 inch row spacing biology, come back a week later and do a seven and a half inch row spacing and plant your cash crop.
2: Uh, I haven't done that. <laughs> I would- How far the biology move laterally? Um well, what I've observed is not far. Okay i've in some of my experiments, I had them um, the treatments right next to each other. I wanted to know is it gonna is it going migrate over and to the other in that my control treatment mm-hmm. and for three and a half years it didn't
1: well keep in mind all of this are annual crops, yeah or annual plants that we plant, and yeah. so think about it the microbes are microscopic, okay, so even like one centimeter is like a mile or long or further for them oh, yeah. it, it just really really long distance. So most of the living organism they are going to stick close to where the food source, where the collaboration is. And they if it's too far away, they're going to stick to where the source are. Kind of like us. We're going to stick to where we can find a job, stability, shelter, food. We're not going to venture too far out if you know, if in the middle of summer are you going to hike ten miles somewhere else or thirty miles somewhere else to look for something if you already have a job and food here. So so just kind of try to think of that way. But in that situation, I would I would say that you, you may be better off try to think about do the C coating, C treatment. Okay. For the planting. And then maybe come back and do the foliar spray.
2: Okay. The most now- far research is in in row crops, and but we've seen people use this in pastures, and, and that's another thing. If you're spraying it on a plant with a living root, that seems to work. At least from what we've seen in, in Australia, where one, one person sprayed it on his or uh, in his field, and he saw results there.
0: Okay, all right. I, I'm 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 starting to I'm starting to relate here. I'm getting I'm getting what you're telling me. I, you know, so here's what I hope to see when we plant, we did this with Milo. Okay. I hope that we can go out and see exactly where that 20 inch row space planter ran because whatever rows of that seven and a half got put in that spot, we should see a, a, a more positive result to those Milo plants than the ones that are 10 inches away and did not get any biology. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> my my observation so far shows that uh, yeah, I sprayed it topically and watered it in Just, you know, right after I sprayed it after I planted the seed I didn't see any efficacy uh, there's something about it being there when the germination of that seed happens hmm. you know, that living root uh, seems to be the key to really get this going And if you saw uh, Corey Miller's, have you seen his video Mm -hmm. in Montana where he was doing it on a cereal rye, I believe in his field. He had a 40 acre field and he planted most of it without the inoculant. And then he came in and did one pass injecting the the, uh, extract from the compost into the furrow at planting. Where he didn't add it, the... uh, Cereal rye was from eight to twelve inches tall. Where he did apply it, it was from four to five feet tall. Wow. So wow. yeah, and that that's pretty extraordinary.
1: Yeah, we're amazing.
2: Yeah. But in, in some instances, in the right situation, when you get it in that seed contact and in the furrow, things happen. The biology really starts to work. And I, well, I think eventually, uh if you keep putting the covers in. And keeping the, that uh, your underground livestock fed, there'll be a point in time where you have all the biology there. Mm-hmm. And then you should, should be able to keep it alive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You see, I decided this spring that we were going to seed coat everything and furrow as much as we could. And then we're going to try to foliar. So, I mean, I wanted to have all the bases covered here. Um, i just realized how important this biology is to the system here maybe i'm overkilling it but that's okay that's okay i'd rather be overdoing it than underdoing it so
2: try, try a little bit of all three ways and see yeah. where your time is best spent you know yeah. where you get the most bang for your buck or the time that you're investing in now, obviously right. the seed
0: treatment is the is the is the quickest because it doesn't take a lot of material to create a enough to do a, a couple of pro boxes of seed so that's your quickest way to to get it yes
2: yeah, yeah. it only takes about a, a, a liter or a quarter of that slurry to treat a 50 pound bag yeah okay. it goes a long way that way
0: yeah that's right so and remember folks think about think about the timing here the, it's very easy to figure this out they're telling us it takes about 12 months for one of these to totally do the process up well think about when do you need the first reactor material you're going to need it in April or May so you start building your reactors in March April or May Mm -hmm. then you need to you need to fully your feed later on in the season so you're going to need some in July so you got to build some in July then what we're going to do we are I mean it's going to become protocol now we are going to seed treat everything we plant whether it's a cover crop seed cocktail whether it's a cash crop and I want to try to in furrow as much as we can too so again you need reactors pretty much running a lot of the of the year, so that when you get to be a year from now in July and you want to go foliar your feed you've got another reactor coming online So again, you've got to always be thinking about where, what do I need a year from now? Now, and we have just learned earlier in the show that it doesn't seem to matter what products we put in this thing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any difference. So obviously we don't have a lot of leaves available, at least that have fallen on the ground in the spring, but we do in the fall, um, and I, I will tell you though guys, we I tried one. we I bought a chipper, a wood chipper, and ran some sticks through and got eh, boy, those pieces have got to be small, don't they? Because they don't break down very good.
2: But the smaller the better, you get yeah. that surface area. And uh, I think uh, Jay Young's been using corn stover. and I looked at his this last week, and it looks pretty good. Yeah.
1: yeah. so Now, the wood shavings are great does that you you will have to worry about compaction and then ended up with anaerobic spots, but wood shavings are great. Um, wood chips, David had done one a long time ago, uh, was all wood chip. It took him over four years <laughs> to compost that pile. It came out beautiful, oh, but wow. if you, let me just say this, it's not impossible. The first one you have to wait four years, but if you start making one, if you have a lot of material, like you need to get rid of a lot of wood, somebody who has a lot of resource like that, then you start making like one um, one every three months, then four years from now, you will have something mature every three months.: well, so, I,
2: would, I would stick with the one year.
1: <laughs> no, no, but but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some people, they may be in the area where they need to shred up a lot of wood. And so that it's not something you're looking to be using it in one year, but if you can wait the four years, then you can utilize that. But you know, I'm just trying to say this because we have people, we have people approach us about that question, probably about five or six years ago. They still have not made one. <laughs> they they would have had what two, at least two yeah. by now, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I understand. I see a few I understand. questions about temperature on this. And uh no it doesn't have to get uh 130 or 160. We've had it not get over 80 degrees Fahrenheit and still compost fine.
1: But you just have to make sure that you put the worms in.
2: Yeah. After yeah. after the temperature goes down.
0: Yeah. And you want the red wigglers is that what you want?
1: Yeah, that Sorry. seems
2: seems to be the most effective. Yeah.
0: So um what about Okay, let's go back to the extraction process. Are you folks also recommending that we should put some energy with this, some sugar or something with this product? No, no, not necessary.
2: You're only going to have it there just for a few minutes before you start to use it. Uh, the sugars may help the plant, but as far as the biology, what we see if you try to to brew it uh, and, and you're adding nutrients, it starts to bias the population in, in the extract. You know, those organisms that can utilize that, uh, whatever you put in there, fish emulsion, sugars, molasses, whatever, uh, they start to dominate in that community and then uh, the others start to fade away. So it's, it's best just to get the full suite. You know, it's a very uh, broad spectrum microbial community. Uh, that's where we think that the, the efficacy starts to come is in that diversity. And you want,
1: you want that original roster at the maturity level going into your soil to work with your plant roots. You yeah. don't want to bias the, that ro- roster, substitute somebody in there.
2: So that, that two pounds per acre on, on a good compost would put, put about uh, 6 million fungal spores and about uh, 30 to 40 million bacteria per square foot. Wait a minute.
0: I got to write that down. Say that again. <laughs> six million
3: spores. About six million spores.
2: Yeah. And uh, the bacteria puts about 40 to 60 million bacteria per square, per square foot.
3: Per square foot.
2: So and the, the fungal spores are—they uh, can weather just about anything. That's the nice thing about this. Here, in uh, some of the other composting processes, yet they emphasize having hyphae, and hyphae are very fragile.
1: Uh, where a spore can take heat, can take dryness. Um, no guarantee on other microbes eating them though, <laughs> but you know, they, as far as the resiliency goes, they, they are much better. So that's why I often tell people as you are utilizing the microscopy, meaning using the microscopes to look at the, the food webs or the microbes under microscope, that make sure that you are looking for fungal spores in the compost. For the soil, when everything is active, you want to be looking for the hyphens because they're active, but then when you have the mature compost, you need to be looking for the spores.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. Um, gosh, there's just so much that you don't. I have. I never even thought about. Um, there is a question here. Brian had a question to me, Rick. How do you label this input on your OSP? He is referring to the organic um, um, system that I have to follow. Um, then the compost.
2: Do they have a heading for that? I'll,
0: I'll tell you what. I do not call it compost because, see, compost uh, makes it fall into a category of the temperature. Did it get to a certain temperature? Then did you did you get to 130? Then did it come back down? Did you turn it? And then, then did it go to one? I don't want to follow the compost guidelines, so we call it extract. Uh, I think they
2: have a caveat there uh, if it's allowed to go a year, and it's a vermicompost. It's considered by EPA as uh, well.
1: You need to double check on that
2: in California. That, yeah, that that's the they're probably the worst as far as Regularly. having all the regulations, and if it goes the year and it has worms in it, they usually allow it. I
1: would would double check on that. Uh, Somebody check on that vermin composting regulation and to see that if it it allows without that temperature.
2: Right. 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 Normally what we see in these is they will get to 131 or up to 160, and they will stay there for five days, and then the temperature starts to go down from that point. The one hundred and sixty, although if there's a lot of nitrogen in the pile, yeah, we've seen it go three weeks.
1: Yeah, we had one with one hundred percent moldy hay in there, alfalfa, and uh, it was about a little bit over three weeks of one hundred sixty degree.
2: Wow, that's what we're seeing. And we just got back from uh, Ireland, and um, we went there several workshops there, showing people how to build the bioreactors, and they're reporting one hundred and sixty right now and that's with uh rushes and uh moldy uh silage mm-hmm. so it, most any waste you have <laughs>
0: yeah right um yeah so to get back to that osp we just we we identify where our products came from so they're coming from in inherently from the farm um mm-hmm. We then, uh, lit, we have to list the process that we're doing, and our certifier has approved all of this, the process, and then we just, uh, I, I don't, I didn't, can't even think what I call this. Um, let's see, the the wheat that we we keep for ourselves, we call it, adapt, I've called it adapting wheat. Um, I can't, I cannot think what we call the biology off the top of my head. I'm not sure we call it anything, so uh, we'll have to label it for something, but uh, it can be but again uh way had a very good point check with your own certifying agency don't just take our word for it here you Mm -hmm. have to find out from them because the last thing you want to have is somebody to kick you out of the organic status so please don't have that happen um john hume is just stating water one minute per day uh just to maintain 70 percent moisture so i think we we built a um uh uh pvc uh, square and put above and then drilled holes in it and then attached a garden hose to one end and we got a timer at lowe's and i think it runs for a minute and a half every day at like 8 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. and then that's how we do it it's very simple to do um let's talk about a little bit about it's going to be hard to 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 talk about this without visual uh, help here but building a reactor okay um, what is your preferred first of all, what's your preferred vessel to start with? What do you want to start with?
2: Well, a lot of people are going to these uh, I, IBC totes and then putting the landscape fabric on them. I, I still I, I was a builder for 30 years, so I still use concrete remesh and the landscape cloth. I, I like the, the cylindrical part you know, I don't have access to to IBC totes
1: Yeah, the the reason why he designed it that way was because the the, the wire mesh has a stability, the strength for the stability. And being in the cylindrical shape, the pressure from the weight is equally distributed. So you don't have the bulging problem like if you have a a, a flat surface and then it sits on the pallet and with a landscaping cloth over and then you drill those holes. So it also allow the breathing from below as well. The woven landscaping cloth is very important. Do not substitute that with anything else because it allows the adequate air infiltration to keep the pile aerobic, but it also has enough thickness and density that it keeps the, the moisture consistent in that pile and not allowing the the uh, perimeter to dry out. So those are very important things to keep in mind.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, and and to add to to you David, we are using those totes, we take that that plastic bladder out and then mm-hmm. you're left with that metal frame, that square, I think it's yeah, it's square. And yeah. then we take this fabric and line uh, the inside of it, and then that that gets the vessel. That that that's the vessel.
1: Yeah.
3: And then,
0: boom, and then you
1: put the the pipes in according to the um, the size of your IBC tote. Because what you want to keep in mind is no more than one foot distance from where the natural air can start infiltrate. So what we design ours is it's a round shape. So that's why we came up with a template of the location of those uh, pipes. But Mm. when you have a square or rectangular shape, then you're going to have to line them up differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do do you, have you considered... When you first did this, um, did you think about drilling holes in these tubes and just leave them in permanent? I mean, because when you pull those out, you do get the the cylinder stays there, but then over time it kind
2: of falls in on itself. Is that okay? It's supposed to. They're fine. That's how it's it's, it's supposed to. About, okay. about five or six, the whole pile will start folding in on itself. The worms okay. are working it. The microarthropods are moving it around. It's it does not have the oxygen demand. At that point, because it's consumed a lot of the easy to break down metabolic products, and that
1: uh, it stays aerobic. Yeah, the, all all the organisms and and the worms are keeping it aerobic, so you don't have to worry about that. But at any, we put those pipes in. They only stay in there for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. After 24 hours, the the um, fungal hyphae and mycelium grew, grew through the pile. And stabilize. So okay. as you pull those pipes out, the entire surface area of that shaft became the beginning point for the air to start infiltrate through. And I believe that is the reason why that this design is allowing the entire pile to stay aerobic from the very beginning.
0: That makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, you make it so clear to understand. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's all. Awesome. Awesome. Now I got, I'm going to hold here for a second. We've got a great question here. And this is a question that I've had a lot of times. You're going to go apply some anaerobic dairy manure to a field. Does this have a negative impact on the biology in that field? I I, I can't wait for the answer.
2: (laughs) Yes, it does. And what, you know, all of this also depends on the rate that you're applying it just like any toxin. If you apply too much, it it's, gets, it'll kill things. Uh, the right amount, it can be beneficial. Yeah. So, you know, you have to weigh that out. And they have that big problem with that in Europe. Um, when you apply an anaerobic manure, of course, first thing you do is you smell ammonia. That's your nitrogen being volatilized and going off. Um, if it's too toxic to the organisms, yeah, phosphorus as well, they're having um, the nitrogen nitrates flowing plus uh, phosphates flowing into the uh, the rivers in, in, in Europe. And uh, the government is getting after them for all this. So yeah, anaerobic um, dairy manure or cow manure is, is really not a good product to put on. And if there's any way that you can compost it, compost it or uh, dilute it enough, that what you're putting on, that the soil microbes that you have there in that soil can assimilate it. Yeah. It's when you when you over apply, that's when you start to kill off this community and really stress your soils out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I knew that's what you were going to say. Um, <laughs> I always try to talk people into, if you're going to do this, try to do split applications and, and minimize the the actual amount you put on at one time, because it's just too much of a shock to the system.
2: Yeah, they, they have slurries over there in Ireland, and and they're able to dilute uh, that solution enough that even on these regenerative farms, it, it seems to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this you was have a
1: question about how many worms to put yeah. in. It will be about 100 worms that you put in, just put them on the top. And then they'll find their way in through the pile by the end of 12 months. Yeah, Once that pile gets down below
2: 80 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Yeah, don't yeah. put them in a beginning. You know, put them in after the temperature comes back down and reach about 80 degrees. So that way you don't cook your worms. So yeah. start out with about a hundred and they will multiply by the end of the 12 months you will have a worm farm yeah. in that pile.
0: That's crazy. So when we get to this point, guys, um, can you can you still hear me? Yes,
1: yes. we can't oh, see you.
0: I'm I'm froze here. Okay, you can hear me. Yeah. Well, if you can't see me, that's even better. So okay, <laughs> um, okay. So when you get down to the bottom here, and we're you're telling us that these worms are multiplying. Uh, is this the basis then for another reactor if we want to start one? Or what are you going to do with all these worms that that are left over here at the end, at the end of the reactor?
1: You're not going to have left over, and and I am I'm, I'm sad to inform you that all of those wonderful creatures they will be sacrificed during the okay. extraction process. Now this they have twelve good months, and, and one bad day, as Gabe
2: would say. <laughs> yeah,
0: I understand. I understand.
2: Oh, you could uh, that you could the way I wash them, you can salvage some of them because, uh, as I say, you're I make a slurry and you're just pushing a stream of water over the that slurry to separate the microbes. And the worms, the worms do some of them survive. Majority,
1: Majority of them will be sacrificed. That's the reality of it.
2: Okay.
3: And
0: and 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 that's okay. I understand. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, what? you
1: can pick out about a hundred of them for the next next pile, and they'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. That'd be okay. I'll, I I will do that, and then we can we can do you do what I call epigenetics, then with the earthworms, and just continue to use the same community of <laughs>
3: earthworms
0: and yeah. keep going to the next bioreactor. I like that. I like
2: it. yeah. What what I do is when I am, you know, you get the you put the material through a bath in order to get all the sand and dirt off of it. But I am throwing some compost from a previous pile into that bath. So, and some worms get in there as well. So, you know, you might be getting the worms in that way as well.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know what's happened with my my video here, but that's okay, we're gonna keep moving on. Um, I wanna move into, uh, and and I hope you got time to go just a little bit longer here. I have to be sure. respectful of everybody's time. Um, let's, the big the big thing right now, everybody wants to talk about carbon. You know, carbon sequestration, carbon this, carbon that. Um, what role do the microbes have in carbon sequestration?
2: oh they're the helpless to the plants. They're the ones that are harvesting all the elemental nutrients from the soil parent material. They're the ones fixing the nitrogen. They are key to this whole process. I mean. Plants don't grow without soil biology.
1: Oh, no, we lost Rick. Can you hear us, Rick? I think we lost him, totally.
2: But but it's very important. Um, The biology is key. The biology and the plants start working together, and you start to get this positive feedback loop. Uh, The the plant feeds all the exudates, that carbon, those sugars, uh, the proteins, to that soil microbiome. So, a microbiome, in turn, harvests more nutrients for the plant and fixes more nitrogen, cycles it back, and then you have this positive feedback loop that starts to go. You'll see it in your fields, you'll see your productivity increase year after year after year. that's that's what we've observed in several situations.
1: And that's how you accrue carbon. In the body of the microbes, in the exudates, and and then the glue, and all these other things in the soil, and also the biomass above ground, and yes. yes, they will respire, and you will get more respiration. But what happened is the respiration came from the soil. It's going to be in the in the plant canopy area, and the more CO two there, it's going to induce the the, the oh we're going to there going to provide the plants to have more CO2 to do the photosynthesis. Plants grow better at a higher atmospheric CO2 concentration. And so that's in that canopy and soil in the system that you will have the positive feedback
2: loop. But let me put it this way. This change in agriculture will take care of all anthropogenic CO2 from fossil fuel emissions. Every bit of it. Yeah. Twice over. So it's... As we rebuild these systems, as we rebuild that photosynthetic capacity, we we notice as these soils get healthier, in some instances, they respire less. That's what we observed in uh, the AMP grazing systems in the Southeast. Those people that had been grazing in AMP, uh, regenerative grazing, their soils were healthier. You can see the fungal to bacterial ratio more predictive of plant growth. Uh, they, They actually respired a lower amount than the conventional farms. So it's, you know, CO2 is the most uh, degraded molecule on the planet okay. it, and it is the most important one. Yeah. It, is, it is second only to water on this planet. It is the energy uh, molecule. All energy is transferred through that carbon that, and that photosynthesis where the, the carbon and CO2 is fixed to a sugar everything on this planet comes from that sugar.
1: And we need the microbes to help in this system. So yep. yes, microbes are so important, but then the reason why they're so important is also because they're able to work with the plants and then creating the synergy and then to put into the positive feedback loop in this system.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You can, you can hear me, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you see me? No. I don't know what's wrong with my Zoom on this end. I, I, I actually got kicked off of it there for a minute and had to re-come back on, but that's okay. That's all right. Um, Simeon's got a question. Simeon, how you doing tonight? Simeon actually had some surgery today, so hopefully he's feeling okay. Uh, do you think the cons- the consistency of the result from the bioreactor is because of the worms that you add?
2: Uh, I do. I, I think, you know, that's nature's way of breaking things down. They're the ones that do the final final process and all the, the cofactors that come out the back end of a worm and the uh, plant uh, hormones to stimulate growth it's,
1: um, it's I, I think important. I think they're key. yeah, but keep it in mind that David did do an, an analysis on some um, worm casting, and that does not uh, look the same as a mature compost analysis. So, so worms are important, but that is not the only thing. You still need other players in there, the other microbial community.
2: Again, it's a system down there, yeah. and the more that w- we can do to uh, help it along and not get in its way, <laughs> not do anything stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it's um it wants to work in harmony as long as uh, as long as we don't step in and get in its way. So, which is usually what happens.
2: You know, uh, we, we we have a project in Turkey working with some farmers there, and they've started uh, doing the inoculations. They're doing the cover crops. It's a cotton crop, and for, when we first got there, they had twenty trips across the field. For doing uh, fertilizer, herbicide, pesticide, uh, foliar nutrition. We cut them down to, uh, we cut cut their diesel use 65%.
0: Yeah.
2: Had 85% reduction in their nitrogen, 100% reduction in their phosphorus, uh, 56% reduction in herbicide
1: applications. No, 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 no. and Insecticide.
2: Insecticide, excuse me. And
1: 100% reduction in herbicide.
2: And 35% reduction in water.
1: So they they cut out one third of water usage in their production. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Whoa, <laughs> echo. <laughs> and
2: not only that, they were four hundred dollars an acre more profitable. Uh, there it, it, it was just, it's just a win-win all around on this. And they're starting to restore the fertility of their soils instead of degrading it year after year. They're building their soils up layer by layer with these covers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. What have we missed here? Anything that I didn't didn't ask properly,
3: or did we not get something we should have touched on? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Let's see. I
2: think we covered that one.
1: We're looking through the um, oh, okay. I see. Foliar yeah, feed? You see,
2: yeah. see, I've
3: lost all
0: the chat questions because I got kicked off and came back, and and I don't have any of that anymore. So
2: yeah, Lloyd was asking about foliar feeding. Uh, yes, that as I say, it's on a a living plant. Uh, we've had some people in Montana use this for controlling rust and wheat. So there's other benefits to that foliar part. Uh, extract in the fall to help manage residue for planting the, uh, you, you could possibly use it for that, helping it to break down over the winter. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think about, uh, guys, what do you think about something like uh, a soil born like fusarium or something like that? Could we, could we use this, this biology to help, uh, I don't know, paralyze is the right word to use here, but, um, help subdue uh, a
2: fusarium? We were just at a, a farm workshop this uh, day before yesterday. And there we, we were talking oh, about yeah. uh, adding the vermicompost and also in, employing the cover crops. And we have a big problem with chili wilt here. And it's either from verticulum or fusarium or phytophthora. Mm-hmm. And once they started adopting this management technique, they don't have problem with those anymore. They also grow onions here, and they have a big problem with thrips. Yep. They say that they don't have the problem with the thrips. It doesn't get to
1: an economic threshold. It was wonderful to see this farmer, how big of a grin he had <laughs> yeah. on his face, and, and the, how much, how proud he was standing up telling everybody what he observed on his farm.
2: And then yeah. also in pecans, we have issues with the, the black aphids. When you bring this system back in, having the cover crops in that orchard and having the biology, uh, they're not having trouble with the, the black aphids because they, they have a whole community of beneficial insects within that, that that structure.
0: Well, that okay, that's a great point then. So let's let's go to that orchard. Those are trees that are they're perennials that are there all the time. You're obviously not in furrowing anything here on a tree. Right. You've got this this cover crop growing. Are you fully feeding these trees then throughout the season? Are you spraying a, a, this this compost on the on the
2: trees? No, we're actually uh, they're having covers. They're growing cover crops. Crop. and they they inoculate uh, they inject into the furrow at planting, that's or they cover, or they coat the seed. One of the two.
0: And this is growing in between the trees that that's yeah. out
3: in the middle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the reason uh, why they're not doing the uh, perennials is because they say that um, it, it may impede the flood irrigation because uh. you ended up with clumps. And uh, also it's pretty rough when they are harvesting pecan and uh, most of them they don't survive through the harvesting so, process.
0: So just do an annual cause it's gonna, you got to start over anyway.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. And they, they say the the people that come in and sweep it and pick up the pecans, they actually like it better where there's been a cover crop that's mowed down.
0: Yeah.
2: The bare ground. Instead of the bare ground to be able to pick the nuts up. Uh,
0: you're not the first person I've heard say that. I've, I've heard other uh, uh, tree people, you know, that do nuts or something say the same thing. It's much easier to, to sweep them up off of that cover crop than the bare ground.
2: Yeah. And another thing I've observed, if, uh, if you have a tree that's uh, infected and you see it weeping, uh, all my cottonwoods, I have that occasionally pop up. And all I have to go do is chip back to the cambium and smear the compost on it and that that wound goes away. Really? Yes. <laughs> that's, wow, that's great. Okay. This all is right. like Windex in my big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Simeon's got another comment here. You mentioned about wanting spores over fungal hyphae. How can you know when the spores will germinate?
2: Well, when they get in the soil, if the environment is right, they will germinate. That's that's how they live. Yeah. That that's a guarantee. You know, if the, if the conditions are right. Uh, those spores will go ahead and form fungal
1: hyphae. Yeah, because mm-hmm. th- think about that. After, right after we uh, put the bioreactor together, in 24 hours that we're able to take those pipes out of there because yeah. the fungal hyphae has grew through the pile already. So when you have the right condition, that they will pop out right away.
0: Yeah, that's see, that's that's amazing that it can happen that quickly. That's amazing. So could yeah, we yeah. so could we wait way could we also then say that that if you had an established if you were no till say for whatever I don't know three or four years whatever and you have these. Uh, our buscular networks running around throughout the this 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 uh, soil profile and then we always I, I you know I don't know how much you know about me but I'm very against tillage I try not to till we do till occasionally but I'm trying to figure out a system that we can do this without tillage but if you're telling me that these hyphae are growing that quickly then if we go through with some tillage disturbance, are they are they healing themselves up quickly? Then out there in that in that big hundred acre field that we've just ran a tillage tool through,
1: you would definitely disturb that system because think about you are you are disrupting uh, the home of all those microbes exists in your soil, right. and also you you are basically oxidizing and desiccating some of the organic matter and also your uh, soil aggregate. So any kind of physical disturbance like that is pretty detrimental. You yeah. know, you definitely want to minimize it. It will help you heal faster, but I wouldn't say that that it will, um, I wouldn't say that it will be a wash because that you you definitely, every time when you do a tilling that you're setting yourself back. You've completely yeah. destroyed
2: the the infrastructure
1: mm-hmm. of yeah. that
2: soil and those organisms and how they work together and all the associations they have. At that farm uh, workshop, we heard one farmer, he had to plow. <laughs> he just couldn't resist it. He had to go out and plow. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Said, he said it all the way back to the
1: beginning with that yeah. plow.
2: And he yeah. had to start rebuilding his soils again.
1: And he noticed that he said, yeah, just like my dad, <laughs> you know, if we don't plow, we don't feel like we're a good farmer. And no. I, I just couldn't sit on my hands and I got on the, I got on the machine and then I'd be darned. <laughs> the
2: farmers yeah. we work working with in Turkey, they got so pop. everybody's seeing what they're doing and they got so popular with how they're improving their soils. They, the manager there has been asked to do presentations, uh, conferences. Uh, they liked it so well. They took it to Romania and they're doing 2,000 hectares there. So it's uh, yeah. once you get into this and get going and start to understand all the mechanics and uh, how to look at these soils biologically. Now, let me say fungal to bacterial ratio is, is only one measure. You know, there's a lot of other organisms involved here. Mm-hmm. You're protozoa. Your uh, your flagellates, your ciliates, uh, your amoeba—all of these organisms are involved in, in this as well. And that study in the southeast, we saw that that predator-prey ratio, didn't, the number of uh, protozoa compared to the number of bacteria. You know, the protozoa are consuming these bacteria. Mm-hmm. Bacteria, yeah. bacteria, four to five to one carbon to nitrogen ratio. Protozoa about fifteen to one. So they're the ones excreting the nitrogen into that
1: soil to feed that plant. As well, besides the the, uh, nitrogen fixing bacteria. So there are more than one player actually able to do the nitrogen cycling for you. So you got to keep it in mind that this is is a whole system approach Mm -hmm. and you need to have the full roster.
2: Yeah, you're you're just
1: looking at one little
2: component here, fungi and bacteria, and it seems to be rather predictive um at least on the amp farms in the southeast it was very predictive on the conventional farms all you saw in their soil was chaos there was no correlation to fungal bacterial ratio no correlation to the protozoa and the bacteria uh that that predator prey ratio yeah So, so it's just remember it's a system we're bringing back
1: try to try to bring it back to a uh good balance at the equilibrium or they can just consistently stay in that positive feedback loop for your productivity and improvement.
0: Yeah. Um, how beneficial is it to apply um, the extract to turf grass was the question. Where, where did we lose? Oh yeah, Bruce. Bruce asked the question. How beneficial is it to apply extract to turf grass?
2: Well, one instance I've had with with turf Uh, I had a, uh, we had some friends that were trying to do buffalo grass in their yard. It was a new house that had been built. They had thrown a lot of paints and thinners out in the soil.
1: Doing the construction During the construction.
2: And they couldn't, they tried for about four or five years to grow. um,
1: There were like three spots. They were just ball spots and nothing will grow there.
2: the, the, The yard looked pretty bad. I came in and sprayed it three times and the next season it was covered. Even the ball spots. So that's that's personal experience for me. Uh the biology, you know, just can't knock it. It does seem to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's a heck of a lot more natural, isn't it, than 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 the stuff that's but you know, I, I think correct me if I'm wrong, but there's there's microbes somewhere in the world that'll probably eat nuclear waste, right? I mean there's there's a microbe for just about everything that that's there's oh, yeah. microbes that eat glyphosate. I mean, there's there's microbes that do all kinds of things.
2: It's it's and, crazy. And it's it's our saving grace that they're there.
3: Yeah.
0: Otherwise,
2: yeah. these chemicals would be piling up even stronger than they are in our environment.
1: Yeah. And
2: and yes, there are microbes that can be bombarded with gamma rays, completely break up their DNA. They can reassemble their DNA and go on.
1: It, it's, it's just mind blowing to try to visualize that kind of micro.
0: Yeah, it, it, yeah, there's so much we don't know. So much we don't know. Yeah. Um, I, and I apologize, I don't get everybody's name on here, but I think it's Nick. Uh, is it problematic if my reactor never heats up? In other words, what is the difference of the same inputs with a vermiculture and the Johnson Sioux reactor? One more time is it problematic if my reactor never heats up
2: now what it, I've, yeah. I've i've had them not break 80 degrees and they still still turned out fine
0: okay okay and then then i then he goes on to say uh, i.e what is the difference of the same inputs with a vermiculture and the johnson sioux reactor i think he might be referring to the, what it takes to build your reactor versus what a vermicompost is
1: um, well, we we never built vermicomposting compost, so really cannot comment on that. Um, so we rather it say, is a
2: vermicompost.
1: It to so. certain degree, but the end product no. compared to the the warm casting, they are different. Yeah, yeah, and so
2: yeah, I,
0: think it was, I said vermicompost. It's vermiculture is the word he used. Okay. Um, not quite sure, Nick, what you're wanting. If you can come in later or come in again with a little more clarity, then we'll go back to it. Uh, Matt Waters, how do you identify the spores in your compost? Do you have videos or pictures identifying
2: them? Oh, uh, That's – I use metagenomics. Uh, all the bacteria, either rod-shaped or, or coccoid, round-shaped, they all look alike, and they can be different, totally different genetically. So no, I do metagenomics uh, and that gives me a pretty good indication um, of who's there and the, the ratio that they're there. It's, it's semi-quantitative, so.
1: But in, for the microscopy that you just identify um, different fungal spores that you can go online and look at all the, the different pictures to identify them and also they look a lot different from the um, bacteria also the bacteria that move around too so anyway but hello Soren and Gayan. Um there's a question that you have about microbes don't go very far uh, they do follow the oh, roots they
2: follow the root exudates for sure
1: yeah and and that's why I was saying that earlier that our experiment have have been uh using annual crops instead of uh, perennials. And so uh, as the, as we terminate the annual crops that that the roots died off and then you know that you have the new crop coming in. So that's the, that's one of the the uh, theories or that's what we guess and that maybe that's why it has not spread as far as the, maybe like on the pasture land
3: okay (laughs) very good sorry
0: (laughs) so so way you mean you mean the back Uh, question about 20 inch row spacing and then we don't have the seed placed in that same that same vicinity you're saying the biology is following the down the roots going down and that's why it's not going did i catch that right is that what you're saying
1: not so much that it's going down it's not spreading and, okay. and so so um, not spreading as far as possible. and we have not done that type of uh, um, research as far
3: okay.
1: as following the perennial crop. And so we cannot say for sure that if you would to inoculate the perennial crop, that it where you inoculate, it will stay in that spot or it will spread because perennial crops that they have living roots, in place all the time. And then the microbes will follow those roots. And then they will eventually spread to the entire area. So we don't know that yet.
0: I see, okay. Okay, got it. Uh, we got several questions piling up here again. Simeon says, are you able to screen the bioreactor using a tromble screen to separate the worms? I, I think that's the word tromble. is that correct?
2: Yeah. Um, you might be able to i've it's, it's never really been an issue putting 100 in to get it going again it's not a big deal okay. yeah.
0: yeah um now there is and, and he's got a second part to his question here and this is becoming a very fast moving uh industry here these dna sequencers so do you think you could use a dna sequencer and identify what you have uh, biology-wise, quickly, do you think that would work?
2: That's the, I'm working on that. Um, working on an inexpensive test. The the test the metagenomics are very expensive. Uh, metagenomics and metatranscriptomics is about eight hundred to thousand dollars a test.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind that there are a lot all sorts of different type of DNA analysis, and uh, a lot of time those inexpensive ones, they are probably 16s, 18s, ITS type of uh, analysis, mm-hmm. they are very different from the, um, the metagenomic and metatranscriptomic tests. And those ones, they require, um, what was that? Um,
2: a primer set.
1: Design a primer set. And it depends on the design of the primer set. You can skew the, the, the organism that you will see. So they are not as comprehensive as the um, the metagenomic and metatranscriptomic type of DNA analysis. But
2: but I think that they can be used eventually.
1: If you know what you are looking for, then you can design the primer set to uh-huh. look for the particular type. But if you are trying to look at the entire roster, then you, you really need to uh, use the metagenomic at the beginning until you get to the point that you are able to identify um, what particular organisms that you need to look for. And then you can design the primer set at that point.
2: And that's what we're working on.
0: Yeah, see, that that makes total sense, because that DNA sequencer wouldn't know what it's looking for unless you basically show it what it needs to see. And then you see, then, yeah, I get it. I get it. uh philippe i hope i say that philippe dupois i hope that's correct uh you just mentioned that you can cut to the cambium of a tree and rub compost on it to heal it from a disease do you think this could work on a fungal disease we have an invasive canker on native butternut trees could the right biology help the tree live with that canker
2: i would suggest trying it um
1: don't you do
2: don't, the whole orchard. No, a <laughs> no. area yeah. And and see, uh, you know, it's starting to get that biological community, the microbiological community, uh, back up and operating. Yeah. In order to protect that tree, uh, evidently something's askew in that uh, that community, that it's allowed that one to now predominate. But I've seen, you know, some pretty impressive. Uh, healing on these trees, when you start to bring the biology back into them.
1: Yeah, so so with us, at least for our experience, that it's only once in a great while they happen, and then we take care of it. Like if you have a cut on your hand, your arm somewhere, then you can patch it up and then put Band-Aid on, and then allowing to, to heal. But if you have systemic illness or problem, disease, then you really need to take care of that part. So you might need to start looking at your soil and your system, see what is wrong or what might be deficient in your system and then start working from the end. So this, you know, the patching part that it worked for us, but we have the soil taken care of. So you, you just need to you know, everybody have a different farm and different system and different operation. So I would uh, I would suggest that you also look at your soil.
0: Yeah, 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 that's that's a good point. That's that's kind of goes back to the human health thing. You know, uh, exactly. the medicine is just a band aid. We're not getting to the source of the problem to where we don't know. We no longer need the medicine. So um,
2: yeah. it's just it's amazing that's time deep- now. Using these fecal matter transplants, there's so many diseases that once you bring that stomach or intestinal microbiome back up and operational, that these diseases can be cured. Yeah, and, and yeah. we're seeing it in so many things now. Uh, the it, it just the field just keeps getting wider and wider. How much we depend on our microbiome for our health, and the souls are the same way.
1: Yeah, we are just simply walking, living, breathing. Um, uh, or biology system. So, you know, it's just it's kind of a mirror right there.
2: And and Simon, you can get our email from Rick if you don't mind. Yeah, we'll try to to help you on that one.
0: Yeah, I'll get that to Simeon. That's no big deal. Um, Yeah, I mean, guys, this is just it. Just you're just you've blown my mind a couple of times here tonight. Um, (laughs) I mean. (laughs) there's so much there is so much happening here and I, th- I cannot thank you guys enough for for trailblazing this 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 process because I don't think we would be as far along on this biology path if it wasn't for you guys so um, there's
1: think- so many there's so many people ahead of us they're so uh, generous in sharing their knowledge as well no. and so are you and so many farmers or you know other people that interest in this they're so generous in sharing their knowledge and giving us feedback without that we wouldn't have the same understanding that we we have approved. so you know thank you all
0: yeah well thank you that was so 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 humble of you to say thank you well
2: we really see this as a mechanism to empower the farmer to help them get away from this treadmill of all the chemicals and all the fertilizer. All yeah. amendments. Oh, right. Yeah, this there's some really good potential here, and we're hoping that you at least consider it and try it, prove it to yourself, do a small plot somewhere, and mm-hmm. and just observe. Right.
0: Well, let me ask you another quick question. Then, so let's say you are wanting to to change, you're wanting to be regenerative. So let's say you've you've decided to make a fifty percent reduction. Okay. And you're going to do the Johnson Sioux reactors, and you're going to start incorporating this biology. Is that f- other fifty percent that you're using? How detrimental is? I mean, how detrimental is that? Is that glyphosate pass to this biology? How detrimental is a UAN twenty eight percent pass of nitrogen detrimental to this biology? I mean, w- what do you say?
2: I I think our best uh, results have been with eighty five percent reduction.
0: Eighty
1: five. Yeah. Yeah. During transition. During
2: your transition.
1: Yeah. While you are still kind of weaning yourself off and you, your soil is still not up to speed as far as the performance from the microbial community or you don't have enough yet. And so you yeah. it's like somebody who has been sick and weak for a while. You need to nurse yourself back to health you need to nurse yourself back to certain strengths before you can even contemplate to train for marathon. And uh, so, so you know, if you're on the transition, perhaps a certain amount is good without killing off your beneficial microbes. But you have to bring in all this system approach like no-till or minimizing on the tillage and, uh, um. And then also make sure that you have multi-species cover crops and, and do all, of, all the things that, that cutting back on the chemical, bio, biological, and physical disturbance. And having those cover crops and rolling, being able to roll them down and plant into
2: them is also key in this process. That's what we saw in Turkey and that's what we've seen in other places
1: that we've done this. And yeah. and, and from the feedback of farmers, is they noticed that it's bringing back the uh, biodiversity there. They have the beneficial um, insects and birds and, and the worms. They're so excited <laughs> about the worms. And- I've uh, seen a bunch of farmers get excited about worms. Yeah, these guys at the farm- uh, they, they are. Were. <laughs> but, but the thing is, being having those beneficial um, organism that that, that help them to cut back on the pesticides. and. Yeah having the cover that actually helped them cut back herbicide 100 percent that is that is tremendous i mean yeah. they say you know it doesn't mean they're wheat free but it's so minimum that they they didn't see any necessity to go out there and try to apply herbicide And they didn't right. notice the palmer amaranth it goes
2: away once you get these soils built back up yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like I've said many times before, I mean, we're trying to create uh, environments that those species do not want to germinate in because they know they're going to lose if they germinate. That's all yeah. we're trying to do here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, you, I, we're going to have, we'll have to have you on again. I hope you'll come <laughs> back and I apologize. I don't know what, I know, you can't see me, but that's okay. Um <laughs> Uh, we're gonna have to have you back and and you know I don't have any dates set up right now, but but we are working on on getting uh, Wei and and David here maybe to Indiana to do a, a school. so we don't have a date yet, but we are working on this. Um, that this is just absolutely fascinating. I'll tell you what I love so much about the the Johnson Sioux reactor. I mean, there's many things. but one of the main things is, once you get this thing built, you, you just walk away. I mean, you got to keep it watered and keep the moisture, but you just walk away and just let it do its thing, you know. And that's what I really like about uh, about the reactors. Um, we had great comments tonight. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. We had two wonderful people with us, guys. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity as well. You yeah. know, it's it's without y'all. What we're doing means nothing. <laughs> and thank you all for
1: we'll continue to do all the hard work so we get to eat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: eat good food. Good food. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, good healthy food makes for good healthy people. So.
1: And happy people.
0: Yeah, and happy people. Well, Wei Chin and David, thank you. Thank you so much for
3: being here. And you guys have a great weekend.
1: You thank right. you, y'all, too. Bye now. Okay,
3: right. bye-bye.